Thank you, Leslie and Paul. And uh, good to have you all here today on a beautiful fall day. We've really had quite a run of some beautiful days, haven't we? I mean, that's been spectacular. I think God's allowing us, who's usually slow, to catch up a little bit. So we're, we're thankful for that. At any rate, let's take our Bibles and uh, let's turn... I'm not sure exactly how today's going to work, but um, I'd like to come back to where we started last week, maybe put a wrap on that, and then uh, just see where God takes us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we'll look at uh, verses 11 and 12 once again today. Look at really what Paul prayed for, for the Thessalonians, and literally praying for the right stuff. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, now verse 11 and 12. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God add a special special blessing in the reading of his word. Let's just pause for prayer prior to our beginning study today. Father, we thank you for, again, a beautiful, beautiful fall day. We thank you for your provisions. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you that you are God, that you are awesome beyond what we can literally think or imagine, and yet you've described yourself to us in your word. You've allowed us to see you, your attributes, your characteristics, the things that make you who you are. And, Father, you've also designed, you've shown us your design and your purpose for us that we are to be more and more like Jesus Christ, the one that came to the earth, God the Son. He, taking on the form of flesh, literally died a death at the hands of sinful men so that sin could be conquered. Not only the penalty of which, Father, positionally, but we've been talking about this today, that you broke the power of sin. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ accomplished all of that. It was proven by his resurrection. Uh, Therein lies the victory. Father, these moments that we have before us, we would, again, as we yield ourselves to you, as we open ourselves, we would ask that each one of those that have come out this afternoon, that you would bless them and their families. Father, you know the challenges, the problems, their particular situation that they're difficult. Circumstances have seemed to have been uh, certainly not easy anymore. Maybe never. But Father, you're no less God. You are no less in control. You are fully, completely, 100% all God. Thank you for being that God for us. And Now, Father, we ask that as we rest in you, that you would encourage us, strengthen us, give us a good dose of wisdom and understanding. As we look to your word with anticipation, as we yield to you, we ask that the Holy Spirit would totally, completely be our teacher today as we analyze and soak in the word. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Christ's name, amen. Um, we've been on a little bit on a mission uh, as of the last several weeks. And I would have to say, uh, even keep your place in Second Thessalonians, but we were in Ephesians chapter 4 for several weeks. And uh, Paul had, as he broke out of the doctrinal part, the good teaching, the solid believing right before you can live right, he literally gets right into it in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. I'm asking you. I'm commanding you. I'm at the very peak of what everything in my being is that you would walk worthy 
Walk worthy of the vocation wherein you call. We talked about that it's humility and meekness and long-suffering, if you will, and forbearing one another in love, and all in the name of unity. Uh, that literally is a walk that's worthy. And in Second Thessalonians, there's a number of places in the New Testament that Paul talks about walking worthy, a worthy walk. And nonetheless, back uh, just in like form in Second Thessalonians chapter one verse eleven, one of the things that Paul prayed for was literally that they would that uh, they would be worthy of their calling. Uh, that that word just continues to resonate um, and has been for several weeks within myself. Uh, worthiness. Um, we are absolutely unworthy. That's how we come. If you're coming to Jesus Christ or coming to God with any worth, then you've missed it. Uh, you, you have no worth. There's nothing you come with that presents itself to be of any value or worth in the sense of what God is demands, literally, through his purity, his holiness, all that he is. Uh, we are unworthy. Actually, we looked at it in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 32, I believe it was, that the only thing we're worthy of is death. Now, we, we are worthy of that. And yet Paul, because of what Jesus Christ accomplished, because of the fact that Jesus Christ died for us, his worthiness became our worth. That we are worthy today because of what he has done. Positionally, we are in that position. Paul is asking that every single moment of every single day, that we actually would be on an escalating or an increasing level of worth, worthiness. That we would become more worthy and more worthy. If I was going to ask you today, do you feel worthy? Most of us, it's hard, isn't it? And one of the things is Satan wants to continue to defeat us and tear us down and make us. And, and there's nothing worse, really, literally, when you fall out of fellowship with God. When something we'll be talking about this probably for most of our time together is what keeps us from being worthy. What is it that keeps us off of our of our walk to worthy? I'm not even going to say what that is. We're going to, I'm going to just let that soak for a moment. But to walk worthy, those those things, and we talked quite a bit last week about that. There was a. If you think about the other, there's three, those three things, uh, uh, to, to walk worthy of your calling. Number two is to be fulfilled. Are you fulfilled today? Are you at peace? Are you, are you in that level of where, whew, now this means easy. I'm not talking about any of that, but there's a sense of fulfillment. And the only way that can happen is, as we're engaged in prayer, our will becomes melted into God's will. And when it's that way, then we ask for the right things. And when you're asking for the right things, because you're asking according to God's will, then he delivers that. There's nothing that God will withhold, will withhold from you when you're praying in his will. Did you hear that? He's promised that. It's when we ask for stuff that isn't in his will is where we run into a problem. We usually get into the, I would like this and 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 this, but if it's not according to his will, he's saving you the trouble by not giving it to you because it's not in his will. But he says he will give you the desires of your heart. The key is, is having your heart lined up with his will. And that's what prayer does. That's the significance of prayer. That's why we as a church, as a Christian, not just this church, I'm talking the church as a whole, we talked about walking worthy, that there is to be unity among the church, those that are in Jesus Christ. That literally is where we need to be as a church today, is to be engaged in prayer at an all-time level. It's a crazy, crazy world out there right now. We need to be praying. And we need to be praying, not, not necessarily for everything crazy going on. It's for us to get our wills lined up with God. So that literally, he gives us the desires. Of God is not a killjoy. He literally is a giving God. He wants to give you everything you need to be everything he wants you to be. Think of that. That's pretty fantastic. 
And that's what Paul is talking about, that you would be fulfilled in all of that, all of God's pleasure, that literally you are fulfilled. (laughs) That's fantastic, because peace and joy come with fulfillment. There's not a lot of that around, it seems, as such. Maybe the reason being is because we're still working on trying to figure out what God's will is. And then the last one he talks about is the fact that, that your work, your service of faith, that it would be with power. All three of those things literally come with and cannot be short of the power of the Holy Spirit that lives or dwells within you. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, literally lives within you. And He doesn't leave, thankfully. He's a permanent inhabitant. Now, we yield or we don't yield. And we're going to be talking about that because one of the things that just continues to plague us in the sense of, all right, let me ask you the question. What keeps us from walking worthy? I'm going back to Ephesians chapter 1 or what Paul's prayer is. Now, he's praying for the right stuff. If you're praying for your family, if you're praying for your friends, if you're praying for yourself, these three things are really significant in the sense of, Lord God, allow me to walk worthy. Allow me to be worthy of the calling that I've been called from you. For the thing that I've been saved to. If you're wearing that Christian name tag, I mean, literally, you were a follower of Christ, you've trusted Christ, that comes with something. There's responsibility, there's accountability, there's privileges, there's genuine, I mean, blessings everywhere. But I'll tell you what, there's responsibility. I'm going to share a couple of stories in the last six months that have impacted me and must, if God weeps, he must weep. And we know Jesus Christ did, and that is the Son of God. And you know what? When we wear that badge of Christianity, we are there as representatives because that's the, that's the last thing. The reason that he's asking for worthiness in their walk, for their fulfillment, and for the power that's in their work. Look at verse 12. It says that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. Isn't that exactly what it's all about? That's what it's all about. What do we do? It brings glory to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And unfortunately... There are times when we're wearing the Christian badge that we do or say things that literally bring shame to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is it that keeps us from walking worthy? What is it that keeps us from being fulfilled? What is it that keeps us from not having as much power in our service or our sense of sharing everything that we are? What is it that keeps us from doing that? What, uh, well, yeah, what are you thinking? I'm, I'm ready now. I'm just... Yes, go ahead. Unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. I'm going to even just tear the unconfessed off for a moment. Sin. There's no shortage, is there? There hasn't been any shortage. I guess they say there's some shortages of different things in grocery stores. There's gas shortages in places. There is no sin shortage. There's an overload, isn't there? And it's amazing, almost every facet of our society, government, it seems like, you open, the, you open the floodgates so that no one would be offended by anything, so no one would not vote for me. Therefore, sin is on an escalate and escapade to all-time levels. It's probably the least used word in the English vocabulary today, and that is word sin. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to even acknowledge it. And yet, it is the reason that we are where we're at. It's the reason Jesus died. Sin killed my Savior. In fact, it says even, well, we'll maybe get into this in a moment, but somebody remind me, I'd like to come back to that, because it literally, as Jesus is betrayed on that night in, in Matthew chapter 26, and he's asked the disciples, uh, I'm getting a little bit, off, little bit off here, but there's something that he says. He says, behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of, the, of sinners. That's exactly what happened. Sin killed my Jesus. 
Sin killed my Jesus. You know, sin is what keeps you from worthy walking. It's what keeps you from being worthy of the calling of which you've been called to. Sin is that separation. It's amazingly how powerful it is. In fact, we're going to talk about that for, for probably the remainder of our time and just sin. But before we do, as we do that, let's set ourselves just one little phrase. And it's going to be, and again, in the sense of how, how, are, how <laughs> what is it that's keeping us from walking worthy? Uh, I don't know what your week was like. I had one that I don't know that I've ever experienced the stuff that's gone on before, ever. I can't even tell you about it. Maybe someday I will. But it was crazy. And you know what the thing is? Is so many things that circumstances try to take you outside of walking worthy. At the end of this, whatever it is, you turn around and you say, did I walk worthy? Well, what it's trying to do is Satan wants to suck you out of walking worthy. He wants the Savior Jesus Christ's name to be drugged through the mud so that everybody looks at you and says, what a hypocrite. That's the goal. That's what sin does. And that's why we have to break not only the... Now, Jesus Christ did an awesome job in the penalty of sin. I mean, the wages of sin is death. That's it. You, know, you, you take your life, you take my life, you take anybody's life, and at the end of the day, at the bottom line, it says, you owe, you are owed death. That's your wages. You're going to get paid up. It's over. It's done. And without Jesus, that's what happens. That's how you get to hell. Hell was defined and, de- and described and made for the devil and his angels. But if you choose to offer your life as be- you're going to go it your way, how you do it, you will end up there. Those are harsh words, but that's what the scripture says. He has a lot to say about hell. But he has a way to get out of it. And it's Jesus. Because Jesus died for your sin. I, I, this, this, look, where we're at today is really was prompted by something that I did not see until I read it. And I haven't underlined my Bible anyway. Remember where we went last week, those of you that were here? We talked about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. There was a key component. I have underlined my Bible because this was truly, literally the turning point in that, in, that man, in, that, in that young man's life. I want to go back to it again because literally when America wakes up to this, when you or anyone personally wakes up to this, that's when change can take place. The biggest problem that America has today is the fact they don't, need, they don't know they need a Savior. They have no idea. They don't think they're sinners. Let's go to, whoops, I'm going to have to have those on. I've noticed I need my glasses much more. Much more. We're getting much more acquainted after I lose them. I, I think I've bought 62 pairs or something. Lisa keeps, she keeps me in glasses. There's some here. There's some at home. There's some in the car. There's some in the chopper. There's some everywhere. Luke chapter 15. And, and you know, I, I, don't need to re, I don't need to read the whole story, but you know, here's this young man. There's two sons. And actually, it's amazing. One was a flagrant sinner and one was an internal sinner. The, the son at home. You know, it's the same thing. Sin is sin. That, that young man at home was just as guilty of sin as the one that took off and flagrantly wasted his life. You see it, right? The selfishness, all of that internal, it's all sin. But at any rate, so this, this young man, he spends all his money. All of his friends go, it's amazing how friends and money come together. They leave together too. And then he's literally just eking out a living. He's trying to literally survive and he's feeding the pigs. Uh, any change so far? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Friends are gone. Money's gone. Pigs are there. He's just doing his thing. But there's something that the scripture says that I literally think this is the change in verse 17. In fact, we'll start in verse, uh, uh, let's just start in verse 15. So we get kind of the bottom, if you will. He's in the rut. He's in the bottom of the barrel. He said he went joined, and joined himself, verse 15, chapter 15 of Luke, to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. 
And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Now, just a second. I don't know if you've... Have any of you slopped hogs or you've fed pigs or whatever it's done? Yeah, and many of you have, right? Uh, we had a confinement hog set up in North Dakota, and uh, we had a 100 sows fair to finish. And that was my deal. That was my, uh, my dad. He couldn't get anybody hired, so that was my... And I, I actually sort of enjoyed it for a very short period of time. <laughs> when, when we... When we left North Dakota, I was really happy to have those those in my in my in my rearview mirror. But nonetheless, uh, there were and, and they were but interesting though at the same time. Not getting too far down this branch, but but hogs are a very interesting species. Quite honestly, they respond very much to care. I mean, they really really do. It's amazing when you when there's when there is care from that one that's taking care of them, from you know farrowing through the nursery to the. I mean, it's amazing. They respond to good care and good feed. They really do. But I'm I'm just thinking about the fact I don't ever remember. Ever being in a position where I wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. <laughs> right? Yeah, and there's, there's varying levels of it, right? Now, ours was, was more of a, you know, a generator grinder mixer feed, but I, I still don't ever remember thinking, boy, does that look good. <laughs> but I, that, and my point is this. What would that take for me or you to want to eat what that pig was eating? I don't know. I've never been that low. Yeah, that's right. It would be pretty close to start. There's nothing this young man had. He had nothing. And to get to that level, that's what the, literally the author of this is trying to point to. Us. But the next thing is even more important than that. That's what it took for this young man to get there. I'm not sure the older brother, I, mean, I can't go down this vein very far. I don't know what it took for the older brother to come repentance. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. He secretly was wearing that inside bitterness and all of that that came out to fruition when, the young, when his younger son came home. Or, I'm sorry, his brother came home. But watch this. This is what I have underlined my Bible. That, that's as bad as it could be, he said in verse 17, and when he came to himself, reality set in. And he said, why don't I go home and feed my, my dad's stuff? At least I would be there and he, I would be treated better as a slave or as a hired servant than I am right here. But you see the difference? He saw reality for what it was. That's what we need to be doing. Literally, as Christians, as we talk about our worthy walk, you need to call sin what it is. And we all have those sins within our lives. Some sins are we're more entangled, I'm using that word, than others. There's some sins that for some of you, that's not a problem. You, it just does not interest you. You have no interest in it whatsoever. And God God is gracious to you that that's not part of who you are. However, there everyone has at least one and probably several you may not even be identified. Some of them become so habitual you don't even notice it as sin anymore. That's what's happened to America, literally. We don't even know what sin looks like anymore. We're not even offended by things. I remember as I was growing up and we had the black and white television. And, and, and something would come on. And my mom, uh, she was, I don't know where she got this word. She says, Turn that thrash off, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, we would go over and switch the channel, right? And, and at that time, there was only thrash on about one channel at a time. And we had two channels, so we had options, right? Think of that. I think today, folks, there's thrash on every single one of those channels, right? And you know what? Here's, here's, the, here's the part. We no longer blush or embarrassed by what we see, by what we hear. We've become, we've become tainted because sin has become so loud, so exuberant, so over the top, so ingraining, so entangling. I want to, I want to use that word because that's one that we find in the scriptures. That it's literally eschewed our judgment. It's eschewed our worthiness of walking. 
I think it's really a big fat deal. It really, really is. And let alone, uh, you know, this, this, this verse right there, you could just preach on that from that person that doesn't know Jesus Christ to literally let reality come, you need a Savior. You know what? You as a Christian need to know where you're at, and you need to have Jesus Christ not only to save you from the penalty of sin, but to break the power of sin in your life. It's, it's super important. Your walk, your, the worthiness of your walk is dependent upon you literally calling it what it is. Now, we'll just start with some basic uh, thoughts about sin. Uh, first of all, we would have to say sin has great power. It has great power. If you're here today and you don't think, if you think you can control sin, you just lost. You show me a young man or a young woman that thinks he can play, he or she can play with sin and they can own it. They can take it and they can put, they lost the war. They've lost it. If you think you can control sin, then you have not the proper respect that it deserves. It has great power. You know why? Because it lives close to you. It has great power over the flesh. And it works through and in your flesh. We haven't got rid of that component. I really would like to get rid of that component. And we will one day. We're going to be glorified one day. Yes, Ernie. What's that? You said, how many want to get rid of it? (laughs) Go to heaven, right? (laughs) And that's where it finally happens. But you know what? There's a part of that. And there's lots of questions. Why did God not take care of it? One of the things that makes us even more dependent upon Jesus Christ, not only is our Savior, but the power over sin is the fact. And having that flesh on board, seeing that there is truly only one way, only one way to break that power, it is from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more that you see that, the more dependent you become on him. And that's how you literally, one of the ways to wage war against sin is to see it, it's up close, and you know the Savior is the only way that that can be broken. But we have to acknowledge it. Those two things, sin is very close to you. It lives within the flesh, of which every one of us has a flesh nature, an unredeemed portion of who we're living with, shall we say. And secondly, it is extremely powerful. Now, there are, there are some sins that are more powerful against us than others. I've spoken of that for a, moment, a little bit. But I'd, the passage of Scripture, which I failed to go to, let's go there for a moment. I just, and there's just a phrase of it that I want to use. Um, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, what he's done in uh, the, the author, the uh, writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 has just really given us, I would have to say, a motivational chapter. I mean, we're starting before Jesus Christ was born. Before he was even described, before it was literally anything other than a promise from God as saying that there would come a redeemer, there would come someone from the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. From that point forward, really all of the Old Testament saints had nothing to go for them except God's word. Now you think about how blessed we are today. As you're sitting here in the year 2021, now we can bemoan the fact of where we are as a nation. We can bemoan where we are as a church. We can see just dwindling. We can see, we can see just a meltdown, a complete meltdown. But let me tell you something. For us to be able to look back with complete confidence that historically a Jesus was born because we've literally split time. There's before Christ and after Christ, and there are those that would like to change that. But nonetheless, he is a historical figure. He was seen as raised from the dead by a lot of people. I think that's fantastic for such guys like me that's a bit of a skeptic. If you put me in the Old Testament and Jesus is on the front burner, would I have had that much faith? If for someone to be living in America today without enough faith to believe in Jesus Christ with as much facts and figures as we have is absolutely, I don't even know what to say. It's crazy, isn't it? And yet there's so many that don't believe that Jesus even lived. We're trying to rewrite truth. Getting off topic a little bit here, but not really too much. Where was I actually even at? 
Oh, we're in Hebrews. Let's go back to Hebrews. I'll come back here and stand where I'm supposed to put my glasses on. Behave. I'll behave. Oh, I know what I was talking about, though, was chapter 11 of Hebrews. What a fantastic chapter. You talk about motivational. Walking through all of those Old Testament saints, and they just, you know, they live by faith. They live by faith. I was talking to several people this week about Abram. I mean, Abram, what a guy, right? And you know what? God knew just what time he could trust him with making the right decision. Let me say that again. What if Abram in chapter, is it, what, what chapter was Isaac to be on? Was that chapter 22, Genesis? I think it's Genesis 20. If it's not, it's right around there. And, you know, that was later in Abraham's life, at least later in the standpoint of his relationship with his first family. Did you know that Abraham actually got married after his wife died and he had sons and daughters, lots of them. After the fact, it's just like, but you know what that was really important is the words for us to see was how Abram's faith was developed. And if he would have been asked to sacrifice his son, Abram, like 25 years earlier, he would have failed miserably. He would have tried to talk God out of it. He would have probably went to Egypt. He would have maybe ran away. But at that time when his son, Isaac, was old enough, at just that right time, God was able to trust Abraham with making the right decision. I think of that. He trusted God's word. Will we trust God's word? We have more of God's word than they had. We have a Jesus that we historically have seen. We know all of the facts and figures. They're all in there. They're facts. They're laid in there. And we act sometimes like nothing happened. Crazy. But anyway, here we go. I promise. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing talking about chapter 11, we also are compassed, surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us or entangle us. That's the idea, to entangle us. That's one thing about sin. You know, you can't just, in other words, if you're going to take your life and you're going to say, let's see, let's analyze where we're at. Okay, now that line right there, do you see that line right there on this side of it? It's pretty good. I mean, I'm doing pretty good. It's righteous. You know, we're really living for God. But on the other side of that, that's the sin side. It doesn't work that way. It's all entangled, isn't it? All of a sudden, our motives, our emotions, all of those things that make us who we are, when sin is entangling our life, it gets us from every single angle, and we become tainted in how we think and how we move. And I've been talking about already the sense of our desensitization, desensitized to to sin today is at an all-time high. It is an all-time high. I don't think anyone has been any more desensitized than we are today to sin. It doesn't even bother us. I'm not talking about non-Christians. I'm just talking about society has desensitized us. What are we going to do about it? That's why our walk, I asked you that question, that's why our walk stinks sometimes. That's why we're not walking worthy. Because sin, that one that entangles us in squeezing the life out of us, literally has us captured. What's that? It is. It, it didn't say yeah. it was that's exactly right. Yeah, it's it's not a problem. It's not a problem. If you, and that's the other thing. It's amazing how, particularly young people, and I'm not picking on them, but there's that time of which you know their parents are to be shaping them and molding them, which is a whole other problem. The breakdown of the family. How many kids don't have a father in their family? Isn't it terrible? It's absolutely terrible. And that father figure should be helping and molding and, and being that, if you will, sort of that beginning of, of, of what God really is in the sense of father and caring and loving and setting him aside apart for it. There are literally hundreds and thousands of, of, of young kids in this country. They don't even know what a dad is. As you get through that, then they make that transition. They make that transition. And while they're doing that, a small picture or a small sense of consequence of sin 
is dangerous, very, very dangerous. I can, I, can, I can even think of, of myself, I think of some classmates that I grew up in high school, junior high. And the decisions they made were so flippant, so easy, I'm going to come back to that word, that literally destroyed their lives. Literally destroyed their lives because they did not value the importance and how strong these things were. I look at, and you, again, we can look around the, around the world. You can see people... That, I think of Alexander the Great just popped in my head right now. One of the most powerful men that ever walked. Most, he was amazing in military might, strength, thought processes. At 33 years of age, he conquered the world. Literally, think of that. He conquered the known world. But he couldn't handle alcohol and destroyed it. It destroyed him. How many lives has alcohol killed in this world? It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. The sin which does so easily entangle us. Just to give you an idea of the strength, let's go to something that was written by a man that, I'll tell you what, I, you'd have to say, you mean he had a problem? You know, there's some people you think, man, those guys, that guy, man, they really got it together. I mean, God is really working. They, they've just, it's so fun to watch. I mean, there's just, let's take a look at Paul on, his, on, on a bad day. Uh, Romans chapter 7, starting verse 15. Paul is just being honest. That's what you've got to love about him. He's real. Romans 7, verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. Have you ever had a moment, day like that? Of course you have. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, that sin but dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. (laughs) That's exactly what we're talking about. That sin that so easily entangles us. So, how do we set it aside? What are we going to do about it? What do we do about it? Let's take, a, some other, let, let's take a look at some other uh, scriptures that actually uh, have been said. that this, this isn't just one nuance. Uh, 1 Corinthians, let's just take a little dive through the scriptures for a moment. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 1. Oh, that's not right. Uh, 2 Corinthians, that'll be better. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And we all said, Amen. And it's so easy, right? Okay, well, yeah, let me write that down. Right, done. We got it done, right? <laughs> Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Ephesians 4, 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation or citizenship almost, it would be a word, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Just put it off. Okay, that's simple. Uh, we were in Romans. Let's go to chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Romans six twelve. Paul says it. Let not sin therefore reign or rule in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. One more. Let's go to second, or 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 11. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm just telling you this because it's, it's a common theme. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Verse 11. 
Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. All right, so it's a clear theme that we probably should, right, get sin out of our lives. <laughs> and we're all sitting there saying, well, how come we can't get it done, right? I mean, let's be honest. Let's be appalled today. How many of you do stuff that you don't want to do and you can't do what you want to do? Okay, go ahead. Don't, don't. We know it's true because that's how it works because the flesh, we live in the flesh. Sin has power because it, we're in the flesh. It's close. It's powerful. And it doesn't remain separate. That one there is something we need to be very uh, conscious of. I've said it several times, but I want to say it again. One of the things that, uh, as we think about sin in and of it, sin is the reason Jesus came to the earth. Sin is what killed him. Sin is what, sin is what really persecuted him. Sin at every level, every juncture of his life, and you know what? He was above it. He had power over it. There was not one part of sin, even though it was powerful, even though there was flesh around him, even though he's betrayed into sinful men, even though literally every aspect of his life was tainted with sin, he was above and beyond it. Isn't that fantastic? And to think, that that's even makes it more personal for me to be able to come to him. With some, and he said, you know, you know in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, where else could you go that would, someone would know even better than him? He, 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 he felt it. He lived it. It was all there. Sin killed my Jesus. Obviously, the only way that you literally can get sin, breaking that power, it is the work of the Spirit. It's our responsibility to yield to the Holy Spirit. But we're going to look at some things in the sense of maybe principles to lay aside the sin, as that's a term that's used often. Uh, it's interesting today, too, first Sunday of the month here, where we have uh, communion, the Lord's table. One of the things that's very essential for us to be able to fellowship is the sense of confessing sin. Putting that sin away, and sometimes it's amazing uh, as you think, you know, it's amazing how day after day after day, and you finally you have that moment, or times like this, and you just say, whoa, this is the time I need, I need, to, I need, to, get, I need to confess the sin. I need, and it's amazing how that stuff accumulates, isn't it? And the more that you think on that, the more that you're in that confession mode, it's amazing how there's things that will come to you that you hadn't even been thinking about. Because, again, the desensitizing to literally what sin is in our whole society and how it breaks us down in the sense of its importance, particularly in our Christian walk. Sin is like an onion. It has lots of layers. You just keep peeling them off. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that one. Ooh, I didn't see that one. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's all like an onion. It stinks. Now, speaking from someone that hates onions, <laughs> it's exactly right. That's, that's exactly right. It's exactly right. So wouldn't you say it's like anything? A general that's preparing for war or battle is for someone that's preparing for a game of significance, an athletic event. Um, you don't just go there and just wing it. It's amazing how we as Christians even, we just wing it. We just go. We, there's no thought processes for different things that would come. We, we don't really study things that could come at us, places of, of, of maybe more weakness that we personally would have. I would have to say it would be very, very important for us to take some preventative measures. In other words, take an active role as, as not as much as a reactive role. Now, the, the, really, the really cool thing is, is God knows that we have the flesh side of us, that unredeemed portion of, what we're, of where we live. 
And he has granted in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we, are, if we confess our sins, and confession is, some, unfortunately, and I, I'd have to say in my own life, how many sins do I come and I confess, and it's not like I even really, I, I know I'm going to be back, right? <laughs> See, it reminds me of this story. I don't know why this came to my mind, but it's, it was, you remember when the, uh, um, when the speed limit was it, was, it was five bucks. It didn't matter how fast you were going. The day, in the daytime, it was five bucks, right? You, you speed in 100 miles an hour, 50 or, I, I'm sorry, 80 or 90. And we were living in Miles City, and there was a guy that had, his, his son had bought a farm that my brother and I had sold. And so in this transfer kind of thing, this older gentleman, he drove a, a diesel pickup. And he, dry, he comes in one day, he said, how you doing? He says, oh, all right. And he was driving from quite a ways away. I said, so... Uh, Going good? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he says, uh, I got pulled over this morning with the uh, highway patrol. And uh, I don't remember how fast. I asked, how fast are you going? I don't remember that part of it. But he said, I kind of took care of it. He I said, here's five bucks for now, and I'm going to be coming back later. Here's another five. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like paying forward, right? <laughs> I said, how did that go? And he just laughed, you know. I don't know how that actually works out. But I, do you follow what I'm saying? In other words, I know I'm going to be back, right? And sometimes as Christians, you know what? Our confession is just means no more than that. Yeah, Lord God, forgive me. I'm confessing, but you know what? I, I haven't made any provisions. I haven't made any preventive action to not be back here again. We'll talk about that in a moment. But is, isn't that true? It's absolutely true. Especially those ones that are habitual sins. It's so hard to make a habit that's good, and it's so hard to break a habit that's bad. <laughs> isn't it true? You know, there's a lot of good habits I've been trying to make for years, and then those bad ones, they just happen, and I can't break them, Right? One of those is, I think, I'm going to say that, a flippancy towards sin. Number one is, what I would have to say, is sin is very serious. Don't underestimate the seriousness, seriousness of your sin. Don't underestimate the seriousness of your sin to God, others, and to even us. Uh, sin steals joy. It ruins relationships with God and others. It diminishes our fruitfulness. It robs us of peace. It taints our testimony. It hinders our prayers. It brings discipline from God. And one, the most important thing is it violates our fellowship with God. That had to be one of the things that David, as he sinned with Bathsheba, and then there was murder, and there was this, and there was that. That time frame in which it was unconfessed sin, until Nathan would have come to him and told him, you are that man. I can't begin to tell you, but David related in two psalms how wearisome, how burdensome, how over-the-top it was, and all of those things that I just told you, it was, ex- it was just exponentially above and beyond. Without confessed sin, sin will literally destroy you. It will destroy you. Even as a Christian, if especially, and that's the first thing Satan wants is to tell you you have sin, and then don't confess. That's how it works. Sin immediately, and then run away. Run and hide. That's great. That's the worst way to do it. Seriousness of sin. There was a... Uh, I found this interesting. I, I, it was just in some of my reading. I, I think about where we're at today. Uh, and every week in America, it just seems like it's hard to believe at what level we've dropped. I, I just... It, there's things that are talked about. There's things that are done. There's, there's expectations. But it, it, I just... You just sit... Don't tell me anymore. I don't want to know anymore. But I'm going to tell you something today that actually is very much even ahead of where we are today. Uh, this, this happened the date of August 17th, 
of 1662. That's, that's, that's back there ways, right? That's a long time ago. On that Sunday, there was something that the nation of England had passed, and it was called the Act of Conformity. And there were a group of pastors or ministers that had been assigned, pegged, named as nonconformists. They were teaching the Bible for what it was. They were not adhering to the Church of England. They were not adhering to traditions and rulings and teachings of the Church of England, which was sanctioned by the government of England. And in August 17th, 1662, was the last day that those quote-unquote nonconformists could speak to their congregations. Let me just give you a few statistics of what happened. There were 2,500 pastors and ministers that were exiled, forbidden to preach, because they spoke from the Bible. 3,000 were killed. 60,000 families were disrupted. That sounds like where we're headed. That actually happened. Isn't that crazy? But there was something on that last Sunday. There was a, there's actually a book. I don't have it. I'm, I might, might try to find it. But it was like, uh, I, don't, I, can't, I don't have the name. It's not going to come to me right. But anyway, there, there's like 24 or 30 of these sermons that were delivered on this last day when these passed. And I, I want to make sure you understand this. It would be like for me, in front of you, this would be the last time we would see one another. Because they're going to cart me off tomorrow. Because I'm a nonconformist. That means I'm preaching the Bible. <laughs> I can't believe how close we're going to that right now. Okay? But there was one on that day. There was a, there's actually a book that was put together. There was a number of messages that were put together on that last Sunday. As they spoke to the congregations before they would be taken away. And who knows, never to be seen again. Some did come back. Some were killed. You, you get the idea. But there was one by the name of Calamy, C-A-L-A-M-Y. And what he said, and I'm, I'm just, you know, there's just a few things, details I have. He said, what you're experiencing is a calamity. This is a calamity. But he said something about this. There is more evil in the least sin than in the greatest calamity. Now, that's a man that understood the seriousness of sin. His life was never the same. It was changed. It was completely destroyed. And we in America right now have taken a low viewpoint of sin and a high viewpoint of misery or challenges. That needs to change. We need to see sin for what it is and call it what it is. Here's a man, his last day he saw his congregation, and he still saw the significance of sin. That's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. I haven't. Uh, he was arrested numerous times for preaching the Bible. And then he did the tour of the United States for three months. And when he got off of the plane in Canada, they wouldn't they took the plane to a different place so he could 
in Canada. Yeah. And, my, and, that, and I, I'm using this example not because I just came across it, but there's, for two reasons. At the speed at which we are moving, of trying to alienate and to annihilate and to keep truth away from people, I don't think we're very far away from a arresting and exiling of what would be described as, again, it's ama- even the terminology fits, the nonconformists. And if you're a Bible teacher today, a Bible believer, you would be viewed as a nonconformist in the world today. Isn't that crazy? But, but the other thing that this, this is my, this, that, that really, I saw that and I said, whoa, that's crazy. But I also don't want to minimize the fact that this is a man that knew this would be his last day of being in front of that group of people that he dearly, dearly loved, that he pastored, that he shepherded. And for him to say, there is more evil in the least sin than in the worst calamity. That's the picture of sin we need to have. We need to have that picture. That's pretty mind-boggling, isn't it? We're often more distressed about our calamity and miseries than the threat of sin. Sin dishonors God. It abuses mercy. It despises grace. It defies worship, service, and fellowship. Stains and poisons and destroys everything that is good and godly. It's true, isn't it? Very true. We've been talking about the sense, and let's step back for a moment. I just thought of there, there's two, two situations. These are true stories. I, I received them. Uh, mo- I doubt if you would know these people, so it's not about anything. It's, it's not local, but it sort of is. And in the last six months, these two revealings, to me, are distressing in the sense of what not, work, not walking worthy within the church, what it does to the name of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. That's the reason for us to walk worthy, to be fulfilled, and that is to get our wills melted into God's will and literally to have the power of the Holy Spirit in everything that we do in the sense of sharing and doing the work for the Lord. Because the name of Jesus Christ is on the line. When you wear that Christian badge, now there's some that are wearing it flippantly, there are some that are wearing it illegitimately, there are some that shouldn't be wearing it at all. Okay? I, I, I can't, I, and I'm not to say who that is, but if you've trusted Christ as Savior, then that's a calling that, you remember in verse 11 of chapter 1 of, of 2 Thessalonians? You are to be worthy of your calling. And if you've trusted Christ, that calling has been effectuated. That is who you are. The first story I want to tell you, and it's talk about, did, does God weep? Does God cry? I did a funeral for a family, and uh, in doing that, one of the things that I do is I meet with as many of the family as able to do on a, on a given time. I met with uh, two, I would, I'm going to say two, um, two of the men, and, uh, and, I, and I knew them fairly well, and we met at a cafe, at a restaurant. And they're just sharing, you know, and I'm asking questions about their mom was, uh, you know, what did she like, what didn't she like, all of the things that, you know, I need to know because I didn't know her personally. And through this course of thing, um, in fact, the reason they asked me uh, to do the funeral was because they had no religious affiliation whatsoever. In fact, the funeral home director said, you might give Larry a call because, you know, he's just, he's just a rancher. And that's kind of cool. It's kind of cool, isn't it? That's kind of cool. So, and, and, and by the way, I also don't want to minimize, they knew me, but we'd never been in any kind of a relationship in the sense of, I'm going to say, a spiritual walk and talk. You know, we, just, we were a little more distant than that. But they revealed something that day that just, I, when I went home, it just, 
It just tore me up. And just talking about their early days. Yeah, I said, you know, Mom, Mom took us to Sunday school. I remember that. And then uh, we went there for a while. And then, I don't know, Dad said it was a cult leader, but the pastor broke up a marriage and then ran off with the wife of that man. And my dad said, you're never going back there. He said, Larry, you know, I, I don't think we've driven back to church. Now, these are, this is, these, are, these are good men. They're good families. They're, they're, they're nice people, okay? They didn't, have a, they didn't have a disrespectful sense of, but you know what? They don't know Jesus. What does God do like that? That's hypocrisy at the highest level. Now, was that guy even, I don't know, but the point was, they had the Christian badge on. God took the beating. You see why it's important for us to walk worthy? Sin got in the way. And I've gotten to know a, a middle-aged woman. And she, this one here actually brought tears to my eyes as she told it. She, became, she got pregnant as a, as, a teenage, as a teenager. And when she came home to reveal that, her stepfather gave her a choice. I'm going to take you tomorrow, and she named the city. It's not anywhere around here to get an abortion. And she said, I will not do that. So what he did then, he said, and she said, she took, he, he took me to a large city and dropped me off. And he said, I don't want to see you again. This is an 18-year-old girl. Okay. I could go on about that, but I'm not going to. Somehow, she gets involved in a church. She's got this little boy now. She's raising this. She's a single mom raising this boy. Going to a church. She named the denomination, but it's, to me it's pointless. They got the Christian name tag on. She said, I went there for about six months. And I was, I was there. And I was, I was tithing. I was, you know, I, was doing, I was doing everything I could do. And she said, I'm, not that kind of, I'm just not that kind of person that can ask for stuff. I, I just, it's not my deal. But she sent out a power bill one month. And I couldn't pay it. It was $50. And I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I went to church, and I went to one of the elders, and I asked him if I could get $20. And he said no. Now, if you were to meet this woman on the street today, you would find her calloused, you would find her rugged, rough around the edges. I've gotten close enough to her to see why. And then we wonder. Now, Jesus said we will know, they, they will know we are Christians by our love. Now, I'm not going to ever believe, and I'm not, again, I'm not naming a church. She didn't name a church. She named it. That's irrelevant. But to think that there wasn't somebody somewhere that couldn't have helped this young single mother with $20? You have got to be kidding me. That's sin at its highest level. Because when we fail to love our fellow brothers and sisters, that's sin at its highest. Do you see why Paul prayed that you would walk worthy of your calling? I just wept right there. I couldn't, I, I was just, I just couldn't believe it. Right? And yet that goes on. It goes on. 
Those are just two stories in the last six months of my life that have impacted me, that have made me feel horrible about what God must feel like. Because this is the key. To walk worthy, you must love what God loves, you must hate what God hates, and you must get literally where God lives. And the only way you can do that is to see sin for what it is and to get in prayer with Him so that your will, your heart's desires, are right in tune where He's at. That's how worlds are changed. That's how churches thrive. That's how people want to know about your Jesus. That young woman went back a couple more weeks, almost in disbelief. And she says, Larry, I just threw my hands up and I've never been back. Don't talk to me about Jesus. How could you expect any different? She found out that I was actually a pastor. Never told her. But she ran into somebody else. And this guy told her. Yeah, he's... He what? (laughs) One of those, he what? And she said, Larry, I want to tell you something. Where I'm at right now, thank you, thank you, thank you for not pushing that down my throat. But I want to know more about who you are because you're different. You see the difference? And I'm not... That's not because of me. It's those three things that Paul prayed for, to walk worthy of your calling, to be fulfilled because you're asking for the right things, and to have power in your service. That all comes from the inside. That's a Holy Spirit thing. That's nothing we bring. But when we let it come that way, it's it's powerful. It's the way it should be. And that's someone I really do want you to pray for. I cannot believe the baggage that that poor person has been through. I can't even be, there's things that I can't even really tell you. She's looking for Jesus and doesn't know it. And Jesus is looking for her. Larry, um, it was a long time ago in my town, but there was a minister, young minister that came to a new church with his bride. And uh, they were there, I don't know, a few years. And then his wife ran off with one of the people in the church. And he had no idea what was going on. <coughs> well, the hierarchy of that church, um, you know, well, not in the church, but were above the church. And um, they told him he could not preach anymore. Because he, his wife did that. His wife, you know, he had control over it. Um, but what the congregation did was they formed a letter and all signed it and asked that group not to fire him and to allow him to continue to preach. And they allowed him to stay. And he was in the church. He, I mean, he retired because and, and this, 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 that's actually leading me to another thing about the principles of setting aside, and that is finding other Christians that you can rely on, that you can depend on, that literally will hug you, pick you up when things are down, when you stumble. That's exactly what happened in that situation without knowing about it. In fact, let's, I'm going to go to that. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6 for a moment. That's where it took me, Galatians chapter 6. And let's look at verse 1. Galatians 6, 1. 
Because sin's going to happen. Sin is real. It's there. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you, which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. There we have that word, that one that we found back in Ephesians chapter 4. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens. Isn't that exactly what the church should look like? Isn't that what it should look like? Amen. And so often, what do we do? We step away. And then that person feels alienated, and pretty soon they are alienated, and pretty soon you never see them again. Right? Who do you think is in charge of that system? Satan. That's exactly the way he would draw that plan. That's his strategies. See, I've got to remember to... Uh, that was actually number eight. <laughs> So now you're saying, how depressing. We were on one, but we've done eight now, so we don't have to do that one again. See, that was established relationships with other believers. That is really, really key. I mean, it really, really is. If you, want to be, if you want to conquer sin in the sense of letting the Spirit work, if you want to yield to Him, you know the best thing you can do is have that sit down with us, a cup of coffee, a drink of water, or just on the phone, or just whatever. That quick, that quick pick-me-up. I got a call from someone this week. It was in the evening. It was a picker-upper. I needed it. I was, at an, I was at a horrible place. I needed to worship. Now, that's the other thing. It's amazing, isn't it? When you feel that when everything's falling out, you know the best thing you can do? Just start worshiping. Just start worshiping. Start praising God. Lift his name up. Get in the word. It'll change. But on that night, that person out of the blue, not knowing anything about me, said, you know what? I want to just share this story with you. It was a picker-upper. You know, that's the deal that, that other Christians do in our lives. They, they protect us. They lift us up. They help us get along. That's called communion. It is. Fellowship. Koinonia. Right? Number two, we're going to come back for a moment. This, now, this is, um, this is one that takes commitment. This takes discipline. Because I said, oftentimes, we just kind of cruise through, oh, shoot, I'm going to have to confess that sin again. Right? <laughs> right? Uh, number two, is uh, purpose in your heart to make a commitment to God not to sin. Let's go to Psalm chapter 119 for a moment. Psalm 119, verse 106. Psalm 119 and verse 106. That's Psalm 119. When you can memorize that bad boy, you have got it, don't you? And you should. There's a lot of stuff going on. Verse 106 says this. I have sworn. In other words, this is a covenant. This is something you're serious about. And I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. That's the idea. Verse 32. Go back in the same chapter. Verse 32 I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. In other words, he's headed towards g- doing God's will. It's, it's like a runner. Think of a marathon runner or those that run marathons or you know, long, long distance or endurance runs. As they train for that, their heart muscle actually becomes stronger. From when they start training to where they end up and they're very, and they're very you know, competitive or whatever, it, actually their heart strengthens and enlarges in the sense of its capacity. It's exactly what happens to you. Your heart for God, your heart for yielding to the Spirit enlarges when you run to His, to, to his commandments, to His judgments. Make a commitment in your heart not to sin. And the question oftentimes is, are we preserving sin? Are we entertaining sin? Are we hiding sin? Are we covering for sin? Do we have like that garage in the back of our, of our heart that... 
sin only, right? Isn't it amazing? Oh, no, Jesus, don't go in that room. No, 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 that's not cleaned up yet. You can't go in that room. You can go anywhere else, but not this room. Do we do that? It's easily done, isn't it? It's easily done. Purpose in your heart to make a commitment to God not to sin. One of the other things I think is very, very dangerous as well is sometimes we maybe are a little bit more enamored with our own spiritual walk, with our own spirituality. And I would say that, number three, be suspicious of your own spirituality. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's look at a couple of verses here. The one we always like to tie on to is verse 13, which is a favorite of mine. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but is as common to man that God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear. That's a fantastic verse. Isn't that great? There's not a temptation made that God didn't say, you know what? For Larry, this is the way I'm going to get you out of it. Now, I have the choice of doing that. Oftentimes I've said, oh, that was what I was supposed to catch on, right? It's too late. But look at the verse before it, because this is how we get there. This is how we miss it. Verse 12, same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's the verse just before it. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Pride will destroy opportunities to do right. It will take you out at the knees easily. Look what Job did. Remember Job? He was a cool guy. He was a cool guy. Job, let's go to chapter 31. He actually made a pact or a treaty or a, a, a covenant, a contract, I will, with himself. Job chapter 31, verse 1. I made a covenant with my eyes. Chapter 31, verse 1. Why then should I think upon a maid? In other words, I'm not going to let my eyes go where they shouldn't go. He made that pact. He was thinking ahead. He was literally preserving his testimony. And then one of my favorites, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. This one here is so far-reaching. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. This is one you should have uh, in your scripture references. Keep thy heart with all diligence. Guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Isn't that true? Absolutely. Watch out. Be careful. It's so easy to be deceived today. So the first three, I should be writing them down, but you guys, that way you... What what was the first one? Sin is serious. serious. Don't discount the seriousness of sin. Number two? Oh, that's a little bit. What was number eight? Let's do it that way. (laughs) Do you guys remember? What did we call number eight? Or or maybe I didn't? Yeah, sort of. Excuse me? Yeah, establish relationships with other believers. Okay? Number, that's number eight. We're doing this a little bit weird, but number two was purpose in your heart and be committed to not sin. Number three? Absolutely. Be suspicious of your own spirituality. Bring your, call yourself to task. Bring yourself, where am I in this? Am I trusting on on my own stuff a little too much? You will fall. You will if it's that, that way. Number four, Um, these temptations, these things that come at you, um, when do we usually deal with them? Oh, let me, let me put it this way. Is it better? Let's, let's say that there's a cliff a quarter mile away. Okay. And you've seen that sign and it says a quarter mile away. All right. No danger here. 
Let's just keep walking. Would it be, would it be the safest when you're like the last edge right on the edge of that? I think I'm okay. That's how we deal with sin, isn't it? We want to go just as far as we can go without falling off the cliff. No. At the first risings of the flesh and its pleasures. How did I say this? Let me, let me, let me do it one more time. Resist the first risings of the flesh and its pleasures. Stop it at the beginning. And this is where the key is for Scripture. Uh, and, and for me, I don't know, um, I know some of you are that way, but for me to have Scripture in song, so that it, there's this jingle in my head, right? Playing those songs back and forth that, that are, that are that re, and it becomes reactionary. I mean, I'm, boom, it's there. God uses those scriptures. And I'm just kind of that music, kind of a, kind of a mindset. I can't remember, I memorize anything anymore. But if it's in a song, it just comes easily. You know, there's, I, I wake up with them sometimes in the middle of the night, sometimes early in the morning. Sometimes I can't get rid of them. Sometimes I can't get rid of them. Sometimes I can't get, you see what I'm saying? But you know what? They're usually there because they're, they're, it's really good. I want to listen to those things that come in super handy for the Spirit to resonate with my whole thinking, particularly if something comes my way. At first sighting, the first time you see that sense of a rising up, stop it. Please God, not ourselves. Number five, let's go to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37 and verse 31. Psalm 37, 31. Psalm 37, 31. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Number five is incredibly important. If you're not reading the word, start reading it. But take it another level. Start meditating on the Word. God will take a verse. He may take part of a verse. He may take a part of a chapter. There's something there that will just literally suck you in. And that's the one. Just spend time. Just rehearse it. Go over it. Bring it back to your memory. Make it part of your heart. Remember how in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, guard your heart? Put this in your heart. Meditate on the Word. Meditate on the Word. Let's look at Psalm 119 again. Boy, Psalm, Psalm 119 is... What was that? 11. 11? Uh, 9, 10. We'll do 9, 10 first. <laughs> We're going to do 9 and 10 first. That's where I was going. Psalm 119. And let's look at verses 9 and 10, and we'll tie 11 to it as well. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? That's a great question. Here's this young guy. How's he going to take care of himself? How's he going to stay out of the ditches? How's he going to stay on the right way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Fill his mind, fill his heart with the word. Verse 10, with my whole heart have I sought thee. That's important. The whole heart. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. May your heart be committed and guarded by the word of God. One more, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians three sixteen. Colossians 3:16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That that verse is so rich of filling your heart. And again, I'm, I'm kind of a song guy. I'm I'm that listening music kind of a guy. Letting those words act as a restraint. Those things literally can rise up to to allow you to meditate on the word of God. Okay, 
Now, here's one that uh, it, it, it maybe isn't necessarily on this list, you wouldn't think, but it is. Because if you're thinking about this ahead of time, if, in fact, something does happen and you sin, immediately get with God. Immediately. And it doesn't take long. If you're, if you're a believer in Christ and sin happens in your life, it's amazing how quickly you are guilt-ridden and need to deal with that. Now, obviously, Satan wants you to turn from that. Go, just get away from that. Just press it down. No, no, immediately. Look, think what Peter did. Jesus had just spoken to him the night before. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And how that's going to be proved is that the third time the cock is going to crow. He didn't tell him that he was going to look at him with those eyes, those piercing Jesus eyes, right? I wonder, did Jesus have blue eyes? Did you say no? I know they were piercing. Right? Laser eyes. And when Peter would have... Oh. What did he do immediately? He went out and wept bitterly. Immediately get with God. Immediately go to Him. Let's look at... Um, now, here, now, here's the other thing, though, too. It's not just, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. That's usually where it stops, right? I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. Follow with... I don't ever want to do that again. Name it. Name that sin. Number seven. And actually, this will be the last one for you because we've already done number eight. Look at us go. How did Jesus deal with it? He used scripture a lot. In fact, Satan came to him with the temptations, and he used scripture just boom, boom, boom. And you know what? The really this this is really this is insightful. Satan used scripture and twisted it. What does that mean? We need to know it better than he does. We need to know its real meaning. We need to know what the word really says. Isn't that amazing? The little creep, right? He took the he took the scripture and just twisted it to make it fit. And Jesus said, no, that's not right. What else did Jesus do a lot of? Remember, let's go back because we're, we're, today is that time for the Lord's Supper, for, for the Lord's Supper and, and a time of communion. This time of actually confession, confession and getting ourselves even closer relationally to our Savior. Isn't it fun? It's, it's all, there's, a, there's a sense of that that's really uplifting and enlightening and just refreshing. It should be that way. Think, think of and, you know, the, the opposite of that would be uh, Adam and Eve walking in the garden with, with, with God in the afternoon. Oh, I've tried to get there. You know, no sin nature, no flesh to live in, no sin, no sin. Ah, right? It's fantastic. And they're in the cool of the afternoon walking with God. And the next day, just like any other day, the sun comes up. But they've done something today that didn't happen yesterday. They sinned. And their fellowship was broken. And they never walked with God again. Isn't that something? But you can walk with God. You can fellowship. You can koinonia because of what Jesus did. Isn't that great? You can walk with him. You can walk with him. What did Jesus, how did he handle his disciples? And I'm thinking on the very night the very night would be the last time they would be together as a group. Last time, the last family time they would have before he was crucified. They had no idea the shortness of the duration. That I mean, they were still fighting about who was the greatest of the monks. Them, right? I mean, isn't that so human? Isn't that the way we are? 
Sure it is. He washed your feet. He set them up really for humility because he lived it. If there was ever, there's been no more humble life than literally God becoming man. There's, there's nothing more humble than that. He lived it all through his life. Do you remember what he told the disciples as they, as they left the time of their gathering, their communion, their supper, and for them to literally, then they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember the words that he used? Let's find those. Let's find those for a moment. Let's find those. Let's go to, um, I've got a couple of places. Let's go to Luke first. I'll see if that's where we uh, want to go. But I think we'll probably spend our time in Matthew. But Luke chapter 22 and verse 40. As you're going there, remember, uh, we'll go there in a moment. Uh, Luke chapter 22 and verse 40. Oh, actually, no, that's okay. Here we go. We'll look at it from two different angles. So, verse 39, uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 39. This is, uh, this is Jesus. It says, He came out and went, and he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. So they've left where, the, where they're uh, in the upper room. They've now went out into the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. <laughs> That's what Jesus told his disciples. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And verse, let's start in... We'll start at verse 36. Verse 36, then cometh Jesus, this is Matthew 26, 36, then cometh Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, sit you here while I go and pray yonder. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death, tarry you here and watch with me. He went a little further, fell on his faith, and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, he findeth them asleep, and he said unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch verse 41. This is the one. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you want a verse to figure out how to lay that besetting sin, that entanglement sin, that verse right there is the ticket. Watch and pray. This is Jesus' words to his disciples. You want the secret? Watch and pray. Pay attention. Pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Continually pray for divine help. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6 for a moment. Ephesians chapter 6. And let's look at verse 18. Now, this was way back when we were putting on the whole armor of God. Have you guys been putting on the whole armor of God? In the morning, have you been putting your armor on? Ephesians 6, 18. Actually, what we'll do is we'll start in verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Put your belt of truth on, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Get yourself foundation. Get your feet surrounded, shod with the gospel. Above all, taking the shield of faith, verse 16, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, now think of that. Now, you're all equipped, right? You've got all your stuff on. 
You got it all. You got it all. It's all on. It's all in place. You're, you're equipped. And then he says this, because you're not done. Verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Did you see the two words in there that Jesus used? Watch and pray. Key, key components. Key components. So what would you say? What's keeping us from walking worthy? What's keeping us from, from being, uh, having that, the, to be worthy of our calling? What do we need to look like? What do we need to sound? What do we, what, we just need to look like Jesus, don't we? Let's go back to Hebrews. Let's finish what we started. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. See if this isn't exactly true. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's read it once more. Verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed, surrounded about with so great a crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Lay off all of that stuff that's, that's weighing you down. And the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is said before. What is that race? Walking worthy. Okay? And then he goes on to say this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I can't think of anything that would be more vital in our battle to be able to walk worthy, to be able to set that entangling sin aside than to literally look at our Jesus. The more you look at him, the more you know that everything that he did on this earth cost him. And what cost him? Sin. The sin that does so easily entangle us is the sin that killed my Jesus. It is the sin that brought him to this earth. It is the reason that we literally could not save ourselves. It is the reason that my wages, that I'm due, without him is death. That sin cost Jesus everything. When we remind ourselves of that, when we focus on him, then literally we will walk a life that's worthy. Comforting to know that God set that all in place, left nothing out. How is it that we get so off track? Because we don't fix our eyes on Jesus. The best thing for me, when there's diversions and distractions and all of these circumstances come, and we get all revved up and there's all kinds of problems, and it's just like, ah! Just close your eyes and talk to Jesus. Right? I really can't wait to look in his face. I can't wait to look in that face of my Savior who died for me. Sin killed him so that I could have life. May we walk worthy of the calling. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for guiding and directing us from the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, there's so many times that we are reckless. There's so many times that we do not count sin as serious as as it is. We don't contemplate the fact that literally when we wear the tag Christian, we literally are wearing as a representative of you, Father. Father, I pray for all of those people out there that have been maligned, that have been treated unfairly, that have been treated without love, without respect, at the hands of a representative of you. Father, may your love overpower 
We pray that each one of those would be given an opportunity to know you personally. Father, use us on our life's journey, step by step, from which we find ourselves engaged this week. Father, your name would be glorified. It would be lifted up. It's not anything about us, but we, Father, we ask that you would allow us to walk worthy of the calling. That we would search the scriptures, that we would meditate on them, that we would look to the Holy Spirit to guide us, to empower us. Father, the decisions that would be made this week that will have far-reaching consequences. Allow us to see your wisdom, your strength. Care for us, Father. Take us where you want us. Guide us, direct us. Love us, encourage us. Help us to love others. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.